This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 665, brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus. Visit Eero.com slash iFanboy and at checkout, enter iFanboy. And iFanboy listeners just like you. One, two, one, woo! Young boy done me bad, I went and did you wrong And I got 
Five Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 665. I am Josh Flanagan. I am here with Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. How's 2019 treating you? That's fine. All right. That's oh, fine. That's, that's pretty good. I'll take that. <laughs> we're at the point where I'm like, oh, that's not bad. That's good. <laughs> we are I Fanboy. We're fine. Yeah, Every we're week fine we read here. a bunch... <laughs> How are you? We read a bunch of our comics, and one of us picks their favorite book. We call that the pick of the week. It's an alternating thing. I don't know if you've noticed that. I don't just do a bunch of them, and then Connor does a bunch of them. I mean, we you try to if go you back want. Nope. No one's no one's trying to grab that mantle. Oh. We will talk about that book. We will talk about other books from the week. We order them in a specific way. You can find out more about that last week's show. We will talk about the patron pick, and sometimes it's the same as the pick uh, two weeks in a row. And uh, maybe we have time. We'll read some listener mail, do some stuff. The idea, have a good time, entertain ourselves and yourselves, and there will be spoilers. So that's your warning. We're going to talk about what happens in the books on you after that. Connor. Well, as you mentioned obliquely there, for the second week in a row, the patron pick and the pick of the week are the same book. And I realize that everyone has their own way of voting on the patron pick. We had thought originally this would give people a chance to add a book we weren't reading to the rundown. But, hey, if you want to vote for the big prestige release book two weeks in a row, a books we're definitely going to talk about in the show, go for it. So this week the pick is Young Justice Number 1 from Brian Michael Bendis, Patrick Lees, and Alejandro Sanchez. And DC lettering, whatever the hell that is. <laughs> this is the first book in the Wonder Comics imprint that Bendis has been given at DC. It's a little unclear what that is. Hey, he earned it. He definitely. <laughs> Some people thought maybe it was like his own version of the ultimate line, but he was on social media this week saying that it was definitely in continuity. So who knows? Who cares? It's clearly a line of teenage books aimed primarily at teenage readers. And here we go with Young Justice number one. We are definitely not teenagers, Josh and I. No. I mean, no. In no... In no, <laughs> in no way, shape, or form. Nope. But... We're Bendis fans, and as you might expect, this book made me very, very happy. This is a book full of characters we either haven't seen at all in the New 52 or have been completely marginalized in the New 52, and it's partially your classic Young Justice lineup plus a bunch of new characters that have been created for the book. It's a standard, your team comes together issue in which there's a big uh, problem in Metropolis, and Ginny Hex has arrived from Texas. She's got a shotgun and a cowboy hat, and she arrives right as the denizens of Gemworld are attacking. And uh, that brings together Tim Drake Robin and Bart Allen Impulse and Cassie Sandsmark's Wonder Girl, as well as a new character called Teen Lantern, who is a teen Green Lantern. First time this character's ever appeared, correct? Yes. And then at the end, of course, we get from Gemworld, we get Amethyst who is, uh, we've seen before. And in the very, very end, the big cliffhanger is is that they all get zapped through a portal and they run into Connor Kent. Superboy, as far as I'm aware, has not been in, in the New 52. That was another question I had. I do remember him dying. I did air quotes there because uh, mm -hmm. you can't see me. But when he showed up at the end, I thought, well, that's this is significant, right? That's... <laughs> I mean... I, I don't know. I, can I just, as an aside... I actually sort of impressed that Bendis is a pretty good deep diver in this stuff because you'd think that he's been steeped in Marvel lore for yeah. you know twenty years. At the least this stuff would be rusty, but he's he's, you know, digging in. I mean, I have forgotten most of the original stuff. Do you remember do you remember that original Teen Titans book from the New Fifty Two no. that was like controversial? Oh, I only read the first one. Of the S being slapped on somebody's back and they thought that people thought that was the costume. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who was in in that book. I only I only read like two of those issues. That original launching of it. Yeah, I only read the first one. I don't remember who was in it. 
I don't remember the lineup. It was Red Robin, uh-huh. and I'm looking at an, an issue now. So Cassie Sandsmark and Red Robin. I guess Connor with the tattoo on his arm instead of a costume because he was yes. a badass. There was a Flash who looks like, I guess it was Bart, could have been Wally, and then some other characters. So not recognizable. They, that was the aged up Bart. And then in this, they were like, let's just do Bart. Let's like go Bart. back. That's what this issue was. It was like, you know, things were working really well, and now they're not. So let's go back a little bit. It's a depooching, is what it is. They're depooching the DC Universe. And also, what I find really interesting is, you know, we've talked a lot about in the show about the concerted effort by, admittedly, publicly by Dan DiDio to remove the sidekicks from the DC Universe. And this is a full on sidekicking book. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's been trying to get rid of Dick Grayson, and they killed Roy Harper and Wally West. Air quotes. Here we've got all the other sidekicks. Now the benefit to these sidekicks is they're the ones that people know from the cartoons. So the the other media characters will always trump the whims of the editorial. So if you've got yeah. a cartoon, let's say, that just debuted on the DC Universe app this past week, you'll get a book, no matter what the editorial wants. And here you've got Tim Drake, not Red Robin, wearing a more traditional Robin costume, calling himself Robin, which hasn't happened in the DCU yet in, in the last six years, seven years. Yeah, that did seem. I, I got. Conf- I was like, wait, is this? She, like, like at one point, Robin was bouncing around. I think it was a time jump, and I thought, wait, is Tim Drake just Tim Drake, or and is that Damien in Robin's costume, or? And then at the end, I was like, oh, it's just, it's the correct Robin. Yeah. There's an invasion of Metropolis. The young heroes come together to, to fight it off. There's a lot of questions of where is Superman. Which was repeated enough that it couldn't just be a throwaway line and fun to be had. Now, Bendis also said, obviously, this doesn't make sense, but it's in continuity and it will all make sense eventually. So, what breadcrumbs he's laying here, we'll, we'll pay off later, we'll find out later. You know, Bendis is enough of a pro, we know enough about him to know the bet. Those things will probably happen. Yeah. It is really amazing. And I thought you had, I had the same thought you had, which is for a guy so, so identified with Marvel, he is had no problems jumping right into DC and his stuff has sounded right. It's uh, it feels authentic and it feels like it, someone who's been at least been reading the other books. Over yeah. The I mean, that's what it makes years. me wonder if he's been keeping up. Yeah. So in conjunction with his stellar work on the Superman comic, this is another Bendis book that I'm I like, God damn it. Awesome. And the Patrick Gleason art was terrific. His teenagers look like teenagers. He does really big action. Well, it was colored really well. Alejandro Sanchez. Yeah, it was. Bright colors. Well, it's interesting. There were as there were actually some some variants in there. Like they were bright colors, but it seemed like the pages that like Bart was on were in a completely different style. Which is interesting. It's almost like his perception of reality, you know? Yeah, I took it that way. I mean, I don't know if that's me giving them the benefit of the doubt, but if you look there's a page with a bunch of uh, there's like a bunch of vertical panels basically and they each get one and I think that coloring is consistent in that instance. Well, the page where he's jumping in and it says, you know, Yeah. I'm impulse that where it's almost there's a fisheye lens effect and yep. the, the trees Pointish. are a bit more colorful. Yeah, these are great characters. Yeah, they're fun to be around. And I, w- I was always a big fan of the Young Justice books. Ginny Hex is a silly idea, but I'm going with it. She's got a ray gun instead of a shotgun. She. This isn't the first time we've seen her, is it? I feel like I've seen her before. I don't know. I don't maybe know. she comes in with a shotgun. Tim Drake shames her, and now she has a uh, ray gun. <laughs> No, this is her first appearance. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She appeared in one of the Walmart books first. Oh, no shit. 
Which oh, is well, now right. we have every right to be upset about that. <laughs> Seriously, though, uh, I, I was – I'm going to say torn, but it's not as bad as that sounds, I think. Mm-hmm. One thing I think that is interesting is that – and it's a little – I'd say it's gratifying in a way – Everything that has been happening in these books, specifically by Bendis, is all of the things that we have been saying for years now. This is what you're doing wrong, DC. Yeah. And we're saying all these gimmicks, all these changes, all the stuff you did is not working. And it was clear as day from from day one. It was like this is not going to get you the audience you think it's going to get you. Yeah. The edgy thing, like, can we please give that up? Yeah. It has a place, but it's a corner of the place. It's not – the place it, it shouldn't be the main thing yeah. and bendis is basically coming and justified everything that we've been saying in that sense like let these characters be fun let these characters be these things and he's been one of the first ones who's been able to push back in that way where even jeff johns didn't which is so funny because like this was what jeff johns was really good at well he's he has the clout and yeah if you're, if you're trying to lure him away you've got to promise him something yep if his request is, I'll come here, but I want to do these characters in a different way, then yeah. great. Not even different. It's the the way you know they should have been. It's the right. way they were. Yeah. Whatever's happening, because it's slowly happening. And in the Green Lantern book, which we're going to talk about, and in Green Arrow, which we're going to talk about, there's more of a return to the fun, four-color feeling that DC had been washing away with lots of lines on costumes and angry characters and Things that just didn't feel right. It was just – it was such a weird throwback to a time when comics failed. Right. Except for sales-wise, which is what they were chasing. Because but know, the sales but, didn't happen because of the stories. They happened because of the speculation. Right. But like, we know that. We don't even work in the industry. I mean, I mean <laughs> you know, we're not the average consumer, but it seems so wrong-headed. And, and, you know, it's being proven out. And I'm not – it's not even one of those like, well, if I was in charge. Right. It just seems so obvious that I don't know why these people made those connections. And they're all still there. I don't want people to get fired. That's not the point. But, like, they weren't good decisions. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. This was incredibly fun. Again, this is sort of – you know, YA stuff gets a bad rap. YA doesn't necessarily mean simple or sanitized. No. There's cursing here. It's – this is no different than any other comic you're going to read this week. No, and and I, I, I have a, I'm going to have another comment on that on another book. But you, it, it is that's definitely a thing that I was thinking about. There's there's a there's a way to do it, and there's a way to do it well, and there's a way to not. And this is it. So I I guess it, just my review of this would sort of be that there were several moments in this where if this was a worse comic, I would have hated it. <laughs> Meaning like so when Ginny Hex showed up, I was like, oh come on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> When they said, I'm Teen Lantern, I went, oh, come on. <laughs> but the rest of it was it, like it was undeniably well-crafted. She does mention she needs a better name. So maybe she'll get one. And I, and I read that and I was kind of like, well, I don't know that that makes it okay. <laughs> but also, like, it's not for me. And I can now recognize being – I was going to say older, but, you know, just a, a more – Mature. More mature, but also a reader with more perspective. Yeah. That not everything has to be a certain way. Not everything has to be for me. And and also, you and I, in the course of everything, have been reading older comics more. Yeah. Stuff from our childhoods and whatever. There was something there, something I respect. Uh, and I always bring this back to Grant Morrison's book, Super the Gods. title, like, Super Gods. And, and the passage where he talked about, he's like, comics should be fun and silly. 
and all of that other stuff. And that changed everything for me. That was a paradigm shifter in my head, that book. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I, I constantly think of it. It changed everything about how I think comics should be. And now there is no answer to that. Right. But superhero comics specifically need to have a little more levity than they have. And you need to be accepting of stuff that really made a difference for me. And it's borne out, basically. We, we've seen that. And just like the Kirkman Manifesto bore out, like that eventually bore out, which is odd because I don't think that Grant Morrison's actually the best at doing that for a broad audience. It's a great thought, but we're seeing that reflected here. This was a very fun book. Impulse was, to me, the standout. I, I yeah. loved his joy, his desire to bring Young Justice back. Is it? Is it? Are we back? Yeah. The energy with him was terrific, and uh, I'm looking forward to more of this. I'm also looking forward to the other books from from this line. Yeah. There's a David F. Walker co-written book coming out that I'm very interested in. Well, it's funny because that I was just thinking when you said, you know, are we back together? We think, and I thought that's what was really fun about that Iron Fist and Power Man story that David F. Walker did. Right. Yes. Was, uh, Danny kept going, so we're back in a team, right? <laughs> so it's the, that same sort of energy. Yeah. You know, for me, I don't know that this is my favorite thing. I don't know that I'm super into reading. I, I know why you are. I don't have a lot of history with all these characters that care about all that much, but I thought it was really good. Yeah. If that, you know, sure. like, I can you can like some, you can think something's very good and not necessarily yep. want to read more. I may or may not go on with it. I think your Bendis pull will give you the second issue at least. Yeah, probably. And also, like, Again, like it's not really my favorite style, but I, Gleason is very talented. I yep. really like how he shifts around. He he doesn't ever look. It's almost like imminent in that way. Like he can do he different do styles. Different too. Styles. Just sometimes it's just a subtle different from book book to book. It's interesting. This week we also had a new criminal number one. I have a lot to say about the back matter, but we'll get to that in a minute. Oh, I didn't read that part. So, <laughs> all right, well, we'll start with the back matter then. Okay. What was very helpful about the back matter was he went through a history of. The criminal books, and if any mm-hmm. anyone who has listened to our special edition show on My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies, which would turn out to be a criminal book, and re- remembered that we didn't remember anything about criminal, we are dumb. It was very helpful to have a walk through the family tree of these characters because as I was reading it, I was like, "Wait, which one is he again?" It's been going on a long time. But if you if you read the back, he goes through each volume and summarizes the story and how they're connected. So that was very helpful, and also. So apparently he and Sean Phillips have put aside their sequel to The Fade Out to do this book, which made me angry. Because <laughs> oh. that's what they had announced. I'm looking at it and trying not to read it right now, cause, yeah. but I'm interested in what you're saying, and I wish I, I, I had to look forward to. But first of all, Criminal's been around 13 years. That's amazing. Yeah. And then the, the image on here is, is Sleeper, and Sleeper was the first. Was it the first? Yeah, they started to work together in 1999. Oh, no, they got the noir, but then they did Sleeper with Wildstorm. Yeah. Sleeper was... Not one of the first, but it was a really significant book for me in terms of like could not stop reading it, could not get enough. That book is is still looms large, and I've read it since then, probably ten years ago now. But it was still really good. Mm-hmm. First part was better than the second part. There's a reason why they've been working together so long. They're yeah, they they have a thing. And Heroes of Always and Junkies isn't volume eight, but they've basically done eight criminal books in yep. terms of collected sizes. So. And he says in here he, he can't escape the pull of these characters. That's why they put aside the, the fade out because he he kept thinking about criminal stories. And so we're back now in 1988 in which – is it Teague? Teague is the one in j- jail. The dad, Teague Lawless, and then his kid is Robert. Teague's in jail and his son steals a necklace from an old wrestler, an old, a diamond necklace, which the wrestler had stolen from Japan. It's a long right. story. 
uh, to bail his father out, and that causes lots of problems because the old man is protected by the mob, and he basically stole the mob's necklace, and now his dad has to pay the bill. And it just It's your standard criminal thing where someone gets in too deep somewhere, and now he's got to get his way out of it. But in the midst of that, just really terrific character work. And to me, the story took off when... And I liked the beginning part. It was very compelling. But it really took off Ricky. when Teague went off to his friend's funeral to find out his friend yep. wasn't quite his friend as much as he thought it was. And then having to get involved in a job because he owes $25,000 to cover this necklace. And that's to me when I was really like, you know, this was terrific. This was in the top contention for pick of the week. Sure. I love the criminal stories. Even though I love Fade Out and I was looking forward to the sequel, I'm happy this is back as an ongoing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 real good. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those things like we've talked about it a lot. It it is what it is. And and now that I just just glanced over that thing, I was like, oh, okay. So Teague Wallace is the dad. The old the other person was Tracy Lawless. We've yeah. seen a lot of him. He's the older son. And Ricky, who's the kid in here, not Robert. Ricky is is the younger son. Right. Uh, I don't Tracy know was, was the, the first one we met of the Lawlesses. Yes. That was the second the second book. volume. And then Teague was his dad, who was like Vietnam Vietnam vet. So that's like in you know the more pa- the stories in the past. It's a very complicated family tree with like four members in it, but yeah, that was helpful to read that at the end. But it, it didn't really matter because the story was great, and you can read any criminal volume; it doesn't really matter. Yes, you even can. Even though there's a slight, there's a slight family through line. Yeah, but you don't even have to do them in order. Like no. that's the thing. So. He realized he said in the back that basically, even though he was trying not to, that oh, this lawless family story is kind of the story of criminal. Even though he wasn't setting that out, because the first volume isn't about the lawless people; it's about somebody else entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah. I was I, I was going to say who, but then it just popped out of my head. <laughs> so, if you like crime books, it's terrific. We talked about if my heroes have always been junkies recently, and Brubaker and Phillips are holding that front line of we want to tell these stories, even if no one else does, and they're doing it better than anybody. Even if no one else is really doing it, they're doing well, it. Well, that, that does – I mean, it's really good. Presumably somebody else could do it good, but no, we'll never know. <laughs> he mentioned that in the back matter, how when, he, when the first volume came out, there's only like two other crime books in the stands. He's like, there really isn't that many more right now at this point, eight, you know, 20 years later. It's the best. And if there's an ongoing criminal series, it's going to be in my top five books coming out probably. I love these stories, and I think the creative chemistry is still there. And, and now they've added – Jacob Phillips is Sean's son, who's doing the colors now, mm-hmm. and he's terrific. And it, now the familial story within the book is now a familial story with the book being made, which is nice. Oh, well, look at you. I know. That's, yeah. Well, I, I think it really is impressive that when they come out, much like Garth Ennis in a war story, they come out, you don't go, oh, more of this. You're <laughs> like, wow, how can he still do this? You know, how is this still interesting? But it is. Yeah. Oh, this... <laughs> Did you say, oh, this? Yeah. Batman 62 repairs Tom King and Mitch Garrett's. I don't know what the fuck this is, but I liked looking at it. I liked looking at it. I suppose it'll be revealed, obviously. Uh-huh. So in the last issue of Batman, there was a cliffhanger in which Thomas Wayne from Flashpoint, who has been lurking in the background with Bane this whole time of Tom King's run, appeared in the, in the Batcave. And this is separate from... The detective comics story in which Alfred was attacked there, he was also attacked by Thomas Wayne. And then he showed up like standing behind Bruce. And so you think that's a great cliffhanger. And here 
Bruce is waking up from something and he is being strung up in Professor Pig's pigatorium, whatever all the pigs are hanging out for to, for slaughter, and he has to fight Professor Pig. And they have a, it's, it's basically one long fight scene with Bruce being very confused as to where he is and a lot of repeated dialogue, which is a Tom King hallmark. And then at the end, Professor Pig takes off his mask and it's Damien standing there, but it's not clearly, I mean, not just a, it's not just that because all of a sudden he changes from Professor Pig to Damien and walks away. It was very, I, I, when it was over, I was like, uh, okay. That was my reaction. I mean, I, I, I should, it's almost like I was more disappointed because I was excited to see Mitch and Tom working on this thing. Yeah. Although given my druthers, I don't, I don't need to see Mitch do Batman. Not that he shouldn't or whatever, but you know, let them do whatever they want to. But there's a, there's a thing about doing What if Batman. he wants to do Batman? Then that's fine. It totally is. It's not a thing that excites me as much mm-hmm. as something I haven't seen before. Sure. You know, unless it's amazing. There's exceptions to all these. But if, at the end of it, the whole thing was, I mean, it's, you know, it was the, like a, a hallucination or a fever dream or mm-hmm. a dream or, which is my least favorite kind of story. Sure. It uses a really long time and an indirect message to tell us something. What if the point of the dream is that Bruce has finally realized that Damien is a monster and he if gets rid of it? If that's the him. effect, then, it, you know, it's it's like uh, it's like when you have the flu and you lose 10 pounds. <laughs> like, it's a, not a bad effect, but the middle part is horrible. <laughs> and it was like it wasn't bad to look at. It was like all this. But I just don't like that kind of story. And it was really repetitive. You know, mm-hmm. like, why can't I hear him? Why can't every page? And I get it. And it's like a form of like it's like trancy music, you know, like yeah. some people get really into it. I can't, I can't stand it. Like I want narrative. I want something driving forward. I don't like that things are suggested in a way that isn't that doesn't feel fruitful to me. That's one hundred percent a preference. But because I like their work together and I like both of those guys so much, I was kind of like, eh. you know, like it is interesting that past. at the risk of pigeonholing themselves, they brought Mitch in to do this issue in which you know reality is questioned. You know, even at the end when. Pig takes off the mask. Robin is sort of flickering. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very similar thing to Mr. Miracle. Um, so I find it interesting that they sort of went back to that very quickly with this pairing. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, I I liked looking at it quite a bit. I always like looking at Mitch. And he said, I saw him talking about that. He used a slightly different style here, which you I think see. you could see that. I liked it. I like looking at it. It just at the end of it, I was I was like, oh, okay. It's part two of this storyline, so maybe part three will illuminate us into as to what is going on here. Maybe I hope so. I also like I, I don't re- I don't really care about Professor Pig. Oh really? I think he's it's fun. Thing. He's interesting, but he shows up a lot more than I think he warrants. Mm, okay. It's one of those things like Grant Morrison could do it. He created it, did it back then. Other people do it. It's not as interesting to me. Okay. Uh, but maybe I also I just don't get it. I you know it's, <laughs> that's fine. Not everything could be for me. Not everything is for you. Yeah. Well, that'll, uh, yeah. So, yeah. What about the Green Lantern number three? Was that for you? Yes. And increasingly so as I went through it. I'm glad because I think, I think you were wavering of issue one, which I really loved. Uh-huh. There was a really interesting interview with Grant Morrison this week on the website Deadline, which for some reason they interviewed Grant Morrison about, about his run on Green Lantern. In which he basically, you know, he's like, I'm going back. It's not a new idea. It's not a new Grant Morrison idea. We just talked about it. But I'm going back to the John Broom, you know, era of Green Lantern and Gardner Fox. And it's more about how being a Green Lantern has changed Hal Jordan. You know, when he goes back to Earth, he's not, it's not like he can hang out and watch, you know, football. Because he's seen 
the nebula of Alpha Centauri. You know, like he's he's been changed. And mm-hmm. that's an interesting angle to take here. That's irrelevant. But it was a good interview if you want to read it. A good interview okay. with Graham Morrison. I really like this issue. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of peak Morrison. I think in terms of like really big set pieces and villains that also were... One thing that he does is that people call him really out there, but he, he's usually not so far from allegory, I don't think. And, and it's usually not too difficult to get to. So there, there's a little bit in here, you know, that was a... You know, it's it's about there's a being that's sort of like like our most traditional version of what you think God is, you know, has purchased Earth from yeah. a slave trader and, you know, he, he sold it to the people of Earth. Well, we, we talked about before how in the same way with Bendis, you know, in the last issue mm-hmm. of Green Lantern, Earth disappears. And what happens is this slave yep. fr- shrunk it down. And stole it and is selling it to whoever yep. wants to buy it. But, you know, like he talks to the people of Earth and, and he says, oh, I'm going to make everything great. And, and everyone on Earth is like, sure. Uh, you know, and that's that's a pretty good allegory to a lot of things that are going on right now. Somebody tells you what you want to hear. You vote for him, even though it's not good for your long term interests. He gives everybody superpowers. Yeah. While he's preparing to eat them. And Pie Face shows up. Well, he's not called that anymore. I know that. But I was like, who is this? Oh, it's Pie Face. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that. I don't know if Pie Face is even offensive other than it's just really weird. His name is Tom. That was a great pa- panel, though, where he's where Hal has projected himself to the people of Earth, which I thought was terrific. Are you seriously going to sacrifice your grandkids' lives because yeah. to get short-term gain? You'll, and, and there's like a dialogue balloon from Earth. Those are your words. We have superpowers. Like, yeah, that made, that made and me laugh. everybody turns against him. and Calling him fascist. That was really interesting in a way that it almost shouldn't have been because it almost feels too on the nose. But in this context, I was like, this is weird because it feels like Green Lantern, but it also doesn't feel like Green Lantern at the same time, which is a really nice area to live in. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you know, the the last bit is, you know, Hal just loses his shit, throws huge nails at the slaver guy and then turns around to the other Green Lantern says, you all saw it. It was self-defense. I went back to the page. I was like, wait, was the other guy doing something? <laughs> he wasn't. No. And I was like, that is a, that's a cop story. And you're saying Hal Jordan is a cop. And now you're telling this story. And I thought, oh, wow, that's A, going to piss people off and B, really pretty interesting. Yeah. No, I, I think I think this is, this is a terrific book. The Liam Sharp art is really working for me. Everything about this book is unusual. This book is not like any other book being done by DC or Marvel right now. And that's nice. Yeah. I mean, he's. I, I love the idea of this creature using the traditional, you know, Judeo-Christian image of God to placate the people. So he looks like, you know, the old man, the flowing beard and the robes. and and But really, he's this, you know, alien monster creature who's going to eat but, Earth. But then there was like, you know, the, in the text, they also made the point of like, what are, what are we judging him for that for? And I did think that. I was like, whoa, well, that's not really his fault. But, <laughs> you know, and, and so like. You know, they, they gave you. He gave you a couple of perspectives. Yeah. Look, he's a huge monster. Well, that's just what he looks like. True enough. You know, like so it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. You know, uh, Hal Jordan is profiling. Well, yeah. He was not wrong though. It's true, and but again, that's part of what makes it interesting. Yeah. It's all. Ungrade. If a cop profiles, and he's not wrong, boy, that's a gray area. Yep. And that's interesting. And you're saying he's a cop, and yeah. and you're. Telling a, you really are generally telling a space space cop story, and I think I've heard talk about that for so long. But I was seeing it in practice, feels like, oh wow, you're, this is a real space cop story. In the past, when when they've said we're doing space cops, it's it's mostly ended up being space army. It's space you know? adventure, too, yeah. But like, 
so John Stewart's a former Marine, so they had him running it. And he ran it like the military. He he moved, you know, he he treated the Green Lanterns like troops. And this is more like a cop story. This is more what I've been wanting for years. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. And we've talked about it before. It's weird. It looks weird. It looks like a Vertigo book. I think that's the most exciting thing for Green Lantern right now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So to answer your question, I was super into it. And as I kept going, I was, you know, I, I, it, it was very thoughtful, basically. Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel number one, and I know you have a lot of thoughts. We'll get to those in a second. Kelly Thompson, right. Carmen Carnero on art, and uh, Tamara Bonvillon on colors. Captain Marvel's obviously getting a big Marvel movie in a couple months, so they're reintroducing her to the to the world with a new book. And I just found this a weird book for a myriad of reasons. So the whole premise of this book is she's she's like back. She had gone for like a space sabbatical, and now she's back, but. As far as I know, she's been in that Avengers book the entire time. You know, like they kept talking about how she was back and maybe she was going to rejoin the Avengers. And but she's been over in the in Avengers like the, literally the whole time she's, we've been reading it. So I didn't understand where she'd gone because she hasn't been gone anywhere, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So the story opens with some sort of Kraken beast attacking Manhattan, and she and Spider Woman team up to stop it. I really like that part. Yeah. And then Tony Stark shows up to, to sort of take the carcass away and he calls Carol back to his offices to talk about her being back and maybe joining the Avengers again, which again was confusing. I think that's when the book completely went off the rails. And I think, and again, I'm, I'm about to tee you up. Uh, I think when I go back and look at it, I wonder why I enjoyed the first part, but not the, the, the middle two thirds or the, the latter two thirds. Mm-hmm. It's that there's a much more of an economy in the writing in the first part. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, once Tony Stark shows up, it gets real wordy, which was a problem in a couple of books this week. It was a problem in a lot of books, not just from people who I don't know as well or don't, you know, but from people who I really like. So I was reading this because I actually thought this was going to be uh, the patron pick for a while. It was leading for a while. Yeah, I don't know if I would have otherwise. I might have. Straight away, I liked I liked that Jessica Drew sh- showed up. I, mm-hmm. I'd kind of, I'd kind of forgotten what Captain Marvel's deal was. I know there was a problem with her and Tony Stark at the end of... Civil War Two, yes, and and after that it gets wishy washy. Yeah, I, I don't even remember what the problem was. And that's when Rhodey got hurt too. He died they briefly. Were they were dating, right? And then Tony resurrected him using his nano whatevers, <laughs> but he can't walk anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Magic buttons. He's he's walking uh, what's, here. What's oddly is that is that and I guess it's a preview of our book explode. But I'm reading West Coast Avengers, and it's right when Rhodey takes over. Uh, Iron Man, it's a whole different sort of characterization, which is really interesting. <laughs> anyway, reading through this book, you're right. If you look, the text is less dense. And as it keeps going, it gets to be more and more and more. Right away, I like the art in this a lot. I thought yes. uh, Carmen Carnero did a great job. I don't know who she is, but it worked really well. I, I think the figure drawing and the acting and all that stuff was good. And the big action set pieces were good. Mm-hmm. didn't so much love the coloring choices and title it wasn't bad it wasn't my favorite thing and i can't even specify more than that i just i was like i bet this could be a little better but as you keep going especially after tony stark shows up the pitter-patter dialogue got to be really frustrating because there was a ton of it and it was just low rent zingers going back and forth the whole time and they didn't even feel specific to character Mm-hmm. They were just constant. This is why I stopped reading that West Coast Avengers book because it was spending too much time trying to be charming, but while not being charming at all. And I, this to me seems like I, there's a page here of Carol and Tony in his office, yeah. and it's just letters, war balloons everywhere. And I just that 
that feels like a rookie mistake to me. And I think T- Kelly Thompson's been around long enough that you don't need to make that mistake. And then the the you know so the other thing is, then I compare this. Well, what about a guy like Bendis who is super wordy? We've always known him like that. I don't know. He's good at it. And also, his word balloons are smaller. <laughs> when it goes back and forth like that, it fills up a page. It's bop, 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 right. bop, Not It was frustrating to read because it wasn't good. Was it Titans at the beginning? Is that first issue, first page had a big explainer? Maybe. There was a couple of books that I read, specifically Bendis ones, where I saw that. And I thought, that was like big, but I did not notice it after I started to get going. But I noticed it in this. Mm-hmm. I noticed that I'm reading endlessly in this, which bothered me. Yeah, Tony was particularly frustrating, I think. Really was. I think I laughed at one of the quips. I know, but that's not a good hit rate. No, what I'm saying is maybe two. And even if it was two, that's two out of like, it felt like 40. Well, do you remember like when we, forever ago, we reviewed Iron Man 2 and I was like, it was too much Tony Stark, Robert Downey, Tony Stark. And this was that. Yeah. And it really bugged me. It wasn't the only comic that it did it this week either. But it's a style that I'm seeing it be more pervasive. And it's people trying to be like Bendis or trying to be like Fractions, Hawkeye. But well, you were right. What they do is is a much more rhythmic writing where this is yeah. just blocks of text. There's a This week on Marvel.com, they put out a uh, really terrific oral history of Marvel Knights. And they talked about how the first issue of Daredevil, like Kevin Smith wrote, had way too many words. And they tried to cut them. And Kevin Smith said, no, if you want me to write this book, you can't cut anything I write. And eventually they just put the first issue out. And he looked at it and went, oh, okay, I see. Too many word balloons. You can see it. Page 14 on your digital reader where Tony and Carol are sitting in his office. There are too many word balloons on this page. That's not good comic book writing. doesn't mean that the whole thing is garbage. But – that page is a failure as far as I'm concerned. And then the pages after it sort of feel like that too. But the other thing was is that the dialogue didn't do anything to help me understand the characters because they all talked like that. Jessica Drew talked like that. Carol Danvers talked like that. Carol Danvers does not talk like that. Mm-hmm. Tony Stark talked like they all were doing it. Rhodey kind of didn't. Anyway, that's my little rant. I don't know. I, I just – aren't there editors – Aren't there people who go, this is, this, you know, or even a letterer must be like, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. This is what we're doing. And a lot of books have a lot of, like, uh, Justice League had that problem this week. And and we're reading, as you said, West Coast Avengers. And those old comics had a lot of writing, too. That was a different time. That served a different purpose. They were constantly re-explaining and trying to sort of get into their heads. It was very not subtle. Mm -hmm. You know, I went through that thing when you grow up and you you hate it. We're going to talk about this and the other thing. But I like it now, but I only like it in the context of then. Okay, I get your saying. Unless you can get away with it now. Again, that's that's subjective, I think. Look, it's always the qual- <laughs> it's always the quality of the words. Right? Yes. So if the words are good, it doesn't matter. Like it's my true. problem is this two and a half page scene with Tony Stark, three page scene, it's an endless conversation about her having been in space and how that's polling and how the public sees her time in space. And it's just like we don't need an endless back and forth about her having been on the sabbatical, which, again, I don't even know when that happened because she's been in Avengers the entire yeah. time. It just felt very repetitive and not in a snappy Tracy Hepburn way, in just in a sort of sloggy way. And, again, the first sequence was great. That's exactly it, by the way. When you say they're trying – I think they're going for that Tracy Hepburn thing or, you know, indirectly if they don't know. Yeah. The opening scene was was great. I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, this is good. And then there's a fight at the end where a very – 
sort of on the nose male chauvinist villain shows up and drags Carol into this dimension. But which is the same reason I stopped reading West Coast Avengers, by the way, because they had what was that character? He was based on another character, but he was like a. Uh, I was it was Brodock. There you go. That was it. Which I was, you know. I get it; it's cute, but to me, that's a that's a low rent allegory. Like you can do better. But again, even with that, this sequence is better too because there was a lot less chunks of text. You mm-hmm. know, it was much more economical in the writing. I thought, you know, the it just the middle part was was really tough. Well, you know what's interesting though is that like I, I think Kelly Thompson, like I said, I, I dropped off West Coast Avengers, but I think she did a little bit of a run with Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Then it was Kate and Clint. Yeah. And I think that was pretty good, if I remember correctly. I do think that there was an element of there's a, a generational style that changes. And mm-hmm. writers coming from a, a younger generation than mine have a style. And that's what they talk like. And that's how they like it. And mm-hmm. I get that. But to me, there there are basic elements, though, that you know it has to drive the story. Is the thing that they're saying drive the story? Does it have any purpose? And if it doesn't, if it's just to be funny, then it does not belong there. And I don't think that's just me. That's Mamet, Sorkin, Patty Chayefsky, it's, you know, good writing. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of not that. I'm sorry. That was my rant. Uh, it happened in other places. And there are other places that had big chunks of text, and I saw it at first. And then when I started reading, I didn't notice it. Terry Moore used to do that. In uh, Strange in Paradise, he would have text pieces, like mm-hmm. basically a novel. He would have, you know, prose. And you'd see it, and you'd go, oh, God. But then you start reading it, and you'd lose it. You know, you'd lose yourself in it. And if you do that, fine. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a big problem in Justice League as, as well this week. Mm-hmm. You don't want to start reading a book and then start mentally redlining dialogue. That then you yeah, then or also just feeling like like oh, when does this end? And that's what I felt like. I said, well, okay, how many? Pa-? I literally like how many pages are left? Right. You know, like, that's what I I checked for, and that's not good. <laughs> okay, let's let's move along. So our sponsor for this week, Eero, uh, which is E E R O, just for those of you looking for it at Eero.com. So. A lot of us, historically, we all have our Wi-Fi and our routers now, and I absolutely remember when I got a Wi-Fi router the first time, I was like, this is amazing, I can be anywhere. But that single router model's been around for a while, and it kind of doesn't work as well anymore because we have wireless devices all over the house now. And it's it's simple. Like light waves, Wi-Fi doesn't go through walls very well. You'll lose that signal. That's why when you go in the bathroom, you're like, oh, it doesn't work as well. And we know you use your Wi-Fi in the bathroom. It's fine. So Eero has a distributed system. Um, this is what offices have had for a really long time, but it was really expensive and hard to do at home. But this is an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system. It's in your home. It can install in a few minutes. I know. I've done it. You plug the stuff in. You go through the app. It's super simple. And it makes it better. You know, I have a beacon uh, off in one corner of my house in the kitchen that takes care of that corner of the house and then just under the basement, uh, sort of where I do a lot of podcasting sometimes. The main one is in our living room. I have another one upstairs in the hallway. (laughs) The app actually has a speed test on it specifically in the app, and I test it. It's faster than my old Wi-Fi by a lot, especially in farther corners of the house. So that right away was great. Uh, It's protected with state-of-the-art WPA2 encryption, so you've got more security. It controls the hardware and the software for the network. That interface in the app is really simple. It's not like the old days when you had to type in that IP address into a browser window and it would pull up endless menus that I would have to call Ron about when I was trying to make my Wi-Fi work again. It's been pretty flawless. It updates itself. It's real good. And then if you are lost and you don't have Ron to call, uh, they have great customer support. (laughs) 
You will get a Wi-Fi expert within 30 seconds if you call up. If you have any worries about your connected devices, you know, they'll walk you through pretty much everything. And that's a really big deal. And then finally, they have Eero Plus, which is a simple, reliable security extra that you can add onto your uh, Eero system. And that defends all of your home's devices against a growing number of threats, malware, spyware, phishing attacks, and unsuitable content for those of you who have delicate sensibilities or children more likely. Um, so if you combine Eero and Eero Plus, you're going to have a great network. You're going to have great protection on the network. It's a, it's a really good system. I've, I've been using it for, I don't know, six months now, maybe not quite. And I, I have no intention of going back. They're also like, they're kind of good looking. You know, the, the old Wi-Fi routers look like old tech at this point. These are nicely designed little little bubbles of Wi-Fi. Oh, also Eero Plus has ad blocking. So if you don't want the pop-ups and stuff like that, you can do that. So uh, it's cool stuff. And, and sort of all that deep dive security stuff that you kind of want. You can do a VPN uh, protection, stuff like that. One password, antivirus. There's a, there's a lot of things on there. and You should definitely look into it. So here's what you need to do. You never need to think about Wi-Fi again. You get it. You plug it in. You do it. You get $100 off your Eero base unit and two beacons. You get one year of Eero Plus. So visit Eero.com slash iFanboy. Check out, uh, enter the code iFanboy so that they know that we sent you and also so you can get that really good deal. It's a great product. If you've been thinking about switching around, um, you should definitely look into this one. It's been working for me really well. You're listening to it right now, honestly. This is how you get the show. Flanagan IT Associates. Mm-hmm. You should look into that. You know what? I work from home, and if my Wi-Fi goes down, it screws my life up royally. So it's, a, it's really important to me. You know, in a week where we had Criminal and we had Green Lantern, Batman... The book that was the pick of the week until I read Young Justice, which I read last, was Green Arrow 48, which was a, really? was a bit of a surprise. Written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. I don't know who these people are. Drawn by the terrific Javier Fernandez, who I love. This was just a classic, and a, a, this, is, this is a theme that repeats through many of my DC books that I enjoy. It's a classic Green Arrow story. He and Black Canary team up to fight bad guys. And it just wasn't, it felt... It felt right. The tone was right. The, the 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 interplay between the two characters was right. They were fun together. I mean, this is it's not like this hasn't happened before, but it just everything was working in this issue in a very sort of like that is what I want from a Green Arrow comic. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked and it looked terrific. They're fighting Count Vertigo, and so the visuals with Javier Fernandez really flipping the panels around and folding in the the you know the city gets folded around, and so that's sort of like an Inception like situation. It looked terrific. It's it's not a one shot, so it's, it's going to continue on to this arc. But man, when I finish it up, I was like, that's what I want from a Green Arrow comic and by extension a DC comic. And so, what I'm finding now is a lot of my enjoyment from these weekly books comes from when these creators really understand the 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 core of these characters and don't gussy it up with a lot of other stuff. And that's yeah. what this issue was. Cool. Is this the new? This is, is this who it is going forward, or is this... I don't even know. You can't even... With the double shipping books, you can't even put a stake in the ground on anything in terms of who's doing... But it would seem like these two writers and Fernandez are doing probably doing this arc, but who knows? I, I read Turok number one from Dynamite. I was very surprised to see this on the rundown. Yeah, it was fun. It's a, you know, caveman, dinosaurs. Are you a Turok guy? No, but just sort of one of those sort of pulpy comic books that that every once in a while you want to read and you know ron mars is not a guy who's going to fill pages uh with unnecessary dialogue and it it was a little bit of a throwbacky one like you know this oh this is what like sort of silver age adventure stories were like you know there's there's cowboys and they there's they're getting led into into a shady area and then velociraptors pop out and then turok and his brother are transported to a world with dinosaurs 
And, you know, sometimes sometimes you want a little of that. And, and to me, like, the Roberto Castro art, it's timeless in a way. You remember, you know, it almost felt like like how the, uh, the Jonah Hex books looked. Mm-hmm. You know, they would just get guys on there. Classic, classic cartoonist. And yeah, kind of just you, and that, a little bit of European flavor. I don't know if this yeah. guy's European, but I, I like that. You know, and I and I, and especially after reading books, like I just I just spent way too long talking about the the dialogue that ruined a book for me. There's none of that here. This is like a palate cleanser. It was like a sorbet of comics. Mm-hmm. All right, cowboys and Indians and some dinosaurs. You know, there's there's not a lot of. Uh, Subtext going on, and I, I use Native Americans, I know, uh, but in the in the vernacular of what these old things were, you know. Uh, by the way, also the Native Americans are the heroes in this one. Colorado, eighteen seventy three. That starts cowboys and, and horses and everything, and it was just, just like a fun diversion kind of thing. Die number two. I was very curious to talk to you about this after the first issue. Did you read issue two? I did. I I, I almost forgot about it. Kieran Gillen, Stephanie Hands. Well, what are your thoughts now after the second issue? I think Karen Gillan is very talented. Mm-hmm. And I again, not every single thing that he does is for me. No. But it is a lot more than it used to be. Okay. There were a few lines in here off and on where I was like, wow, that's that's really good writing. Mm-hmm. He impressed me a lot during this. This is not my favorite kind of story. But it's done really well and it's and it's actually it's pretty damn compelling. You know, part of that is all these characters are in their early 40s and they have their lives or whatever and they're sort of getting sucked back into a younger version of themselves and it's more extreme than normal but that's a pretty obvious metaphor going on there right and it looks like it should you know like it the the art style fits this fantasy horror you know dynamic they have going on here yep i liked it i i found it way more compelling than i thought i would have i you know it's a little melodramatic, like the one guy gets his power from sadness, and he's like, I don't feel like that. And then she has to make him feel bad, you know, so that he becomes super powerful and has a flaming sword. It's a lot of good things, you know? It's interesting. I like it, but like with m- most of what Kieran Gillen does that is in the fantasy realm, I feel like I'm barely holding on by my fingernails. Hmm. For whatever reason, like I really like his non-fantasy stuff. I don't know if it's because I'm not as steeped in it, but I, then again, I know you're not, so I don't know. I like it, but I feel like there's a lot of jargon that makes it hard to really sort of sort of settle in with. And also, we talked about last time how the, the art's good, but she's a relatively new interior artist, and I didn't even know that in the beginning the main character is a male in the real world, but a female in the fantasy world. Mm-hmm. It took me until they mentioned it that I was like, oh, but I didn't even realize he, what he had turned into a female. Hmm. I, you know, like, yeah. The, I mean, there's a lot of that, but I, I figure that's the kind of thing that you, I, I, I grasp on at some point usually. I just sort of figure things out from context. I'm used to being lost, so. I'm still into it. Yeah. But I do feel like I'm a little bit holding on my fingers. The same thing happened with, with The Wicked and the Divine. Eventually I dropped off that because I was like, I, I did drop off that. I just, don't, I just don't know what's going on anymore. And that is a danger, but... He really proved it. He's doing it in Star Wars, and he proved it in his, you know, Darth Vader and and Doctor Aphra stuff. Like he's a he's a he's gotten to be a pretty competent world builder, mm-hmm. for sure. And I th- I think it's like one of those things. Like he is way better than when he started. So all of that imagination and he has a voice. 
you know, all that style that he had is now refined. He's just he's a better storyteller and he knows how to condense the things that he wants to do. I think with The Wicked and the Divine, like he's doing a story that I'm not super into, but he is. Mm-hmm. And if you are into the things like that, it's going to really speak to you. And I think for either of us, it's not a thing. For sure. I'm going to read the next issue. Yeah, I thought it was great. I, I, re- I really enjoyed it. What a nice little tonic Aliens Dust to Dust number four oh. was. This whole miniseries, this four-issue miniseries. Basically, this short story set in the Aliens world. And what a also weird week where multiple Aliens books came out that I read. <laughs> yeah, I, this is the fourth issue. This is the last one uh, of this sort of little mini that, that Gabe Hardman decided to write and draw. And there are, you know, it, it, it was, it you know, it took a lot from Aliens, mm-hmm. you know, and like what would what was happening on another world, you know, that 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 wasn't the story from Aliens. There must be lots of others that Wayland yutani Corporation has, has colonized and how's that going, you know, right. so it's sort of parallel to that. There wasn't huge new ideas in it or anything. There was the thing about the one alien uh, had been grown in the kid's mother, so it seemed to have a connection to him. So there's like a little sort of a newish thing there. But other than that, straight up action suspense horror thing that with with you know gabe does movie storyboards and i felt like i was watching like a work in progress not not a bad way but like like oh you could this would be the part but the next step would be to build this into a movie it was fun it, you know didn't have to think too hard it was it was aliens it was what you want from that but it's just, it was just a nice little burst it's just, it's a burst of a yes. story it's not a full six yep. issues it's not you know a 12 issue maxi series it's not an ongoing it's a little four issue story about a kid who his colony gets overrun and he has to escape. Yep. And it's, it was really fun. I really liked it. It was a page turner. You know, the, like it had that feeling of movement constantly going from, as Gabe would say, from left to right. But it really did feel like that. You were constantly like, oh, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm whipping my head back and forth like I'm watching a very short NASCAR track. Right. You know. And, and there was a, you know, when he's with the synthoid and he has to cut the head off and walk with it, that was very compelling imagery. <laughs> but also definitely... very aliens. Like it yeah. absolutely fit into the oof. Sure. If there had been panel of the week, it would have been the one where he was holding the guy's head. Sure. This was super fun. I'm glad he did this. He should do more of these little bursts of whatever he wants. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to touch up on uh, uh, Bully Wars number five. This is the last issue, or at least the first uh, last issue, the first arc. I think uh, we had both sort of given it. It was kind of fun, but but not for me kind of thing. Yeah. I kept reading it because I wanted to know if it was something I could read to my kids. Because mm-hmm. it it's an all-ages book. Okay. And at the end, I was like, yeah, you know what? I think my son would like this, my older son. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I did. It wasn't, it, you know, it didn't reinvent the wheel, but I really liked the sort of feeling. And at the end, I thought, you know, my eight-year-old is going to really like this. I have a different appreciation for things now. I still have things that I like, and those are all pretty much the same. That's how you get cranky ranting about comic book dialogue. Right. But then there's another end of like, well, I wouldn't like this normally for myself, but I really like watching it with my kids. I started watching the Flash TV show with my kids, and they were both totally into it. I didn't want to watch that on my own. I didn't care. Right. Everybody hates Jurassic World. I loved watching that with my kids. It was super fun. This was like that. And I basically went through it because I was like, I bet. Because Scotty's got a kid just about the same age as mine. got a son. you know, and, and that's affecting how he's doing things for sure, too. There's no way it isn't. So it's one of those things like if, if you've got you know kids, sort of pre-adolescent kids, uh, this might be fun for them. Uh, is they're sort of going beyond the kiddie stuff and want to go a little further in. You know, it's not not super hardcore or graphic or anything. You know, it, it's it's just an all ages sort of fun little story. So those are the books we wanted to talk about. We mentioned at the top of the show this week. The patron pick was also the pick of the week, and so there was, there's no separate book to talk about. However, we will do our 
standard ratings for the patron pick pick of the week ratings out of five ratings i'm going to give it a 4.75 wow that's a very good rating i really enjoyed it yes i'm gonna give it a four that's that's totally fair yeah are you sticking with it i think it depends on the week and I think that I I will probably try issue number two, mm-hmm. provided it's not like a really busy week. But I think that we'll, my my decision will ha- will hinge on on issue number two, if I'm really compelled. Then this is going to make Ginny Hex your favorite character. You know, In I don't put it comics. past. He could do that. So there you go. There's a picture pick. If you want to vote to add a book to the rundown, Patreon.com/slash/ifanboys where you do that. That's how every patron can vote. And we had a, it was actually, some weeks are blowouts, this week was fairly close. There was a couple of, for a while, Captain Marvel was in the lead, and then Young Justice took over, and there was a couple of books in the run, running. Patreon.com slash iFanboy, where you can do that. Also, that's where you can help us out, and just in general, become a patron of the show, help us get to our next stretch goal, which is to add a, non, a monthly non-comics media podcast, which that we'll do every month. And also, in addition to that, we will upload all the missing video shows and minis to our YouTube channel, and re-embed them on the website. That's our next stretch goal. If you want to see us get there, patreon.com slash ifanboy and that's how you just help the show in general also all the other patron benefits like the hangouts and and there are there are others i just can't think of at the moment t-shirt store ifanboy.threadless.com that's where you can find our t-shirts ifanboy logo herm pick of the week podcast ratings if one is electro gdat and nothing makes sense nothing matters now obviously we always talk about how nothing makes sense nothing matters is a big seller josh but this week we had some more gdat purchases yeah which is so rare that it's worth mentioning <laughs> So thank you. I mean, that's every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings kind of thing. (laughs) I did a double take when I looked at the the dashboard. GDAT. So thank you, whoever whoever bought that GDAT t-shirt. It just means that there's a person out there who gets you. Those people, those are our people. That's what I'm saying. Thanks for purchasing the t-shirts there. And as we said last week, there'll be a new shirt uh, this year. FMW.com slash support. That's where you can help us out via PayPal directly. FMW.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find links to buy books from the Booksplode discussions. As well as a general link. It's all there at fanboy.com slash Amazon. So thank you, everyone, who supports the show uh, in this new year. We appreciate it. And now, here's one of the other benefits of being a patron. If you give the $5 or higher level, you get your own patron power right there on the show. Right here. We're here. You're there. We're here. Right here. Right here. And so we're going to do this live. And I, I forgot to prepare. So I apologize. I prepared while you were talking. It, was, pre- uh, it was a long week. I had a lot going on. Philip. Roby is our first patron. Thanks for being a patron. Philip can see in a floating sign over people's heads which of the seven deadly sins that person is currently... Wow. Which one they are currently experiencing. Closest to? Yes. Huh. So he sees if, you are, if you're filled with envy at the moment or right. lust or if, you're, if it's before lunch and you're hungry, feeling gluttonous. He can see which one. Is hunger the same as gluttony? I don't know. I'm just hungry. I can tell you what mine is right now. He'd be seeing... Sloth. Sloth. There's a lot of sloth out there. A lot of sloth. He sees whichever one is currently being experienced the most. I have pride sloth. It's a combo. It's a slash. (laughs) Pride sloth. Sloth. Pride sloth is a a new very, like, D-list Marvel character. Or an energy drink. Mm Mm-hmm. So thanks, Philip. <laughs> Hold on. 
<laughs> I, I literally don't know what I'm laughing at right now. It's all right. Brian Petard, who hoists things. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. He can think about seven things at once. Like fully? Fully uh-huh. concentrated on seven things? Full concentration on seven things at once. This doesn't mean that he can translate his body to doing that many things because you've only got so many appendages, but it doesn't hurt. But he can – hold on. i got to think about that. You don't have to wait for him to finish thinking about that. You can add things in. Seven things. Seven wow. things at once you can talk about. Seven trains of thought. Uh-huh. That's and one funny. of them, you know, that means that you got one or two of them free to just go off. That's right. He doesn't have to fully fill the seven. He can only have five right. going and yeah. have two open. Yeah, when he goes in the shower, he comes out with, you know, just formulae. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Other Brian, just singularly named Brian. Um, oh, so you know like on modern smartphones when you swipe a photo, you get like the little bit of video behind it? Uh-huh. As you like see the people getting into place or the camera getting into place. Mm-hmm. Brian can touch inanimate objects and have that happen. So like if he had like a little Captain America action figure, it sort of, you know, gets into its pose. Or a statue uh-huh. at a museum. You know, maybe the statue of David was scratching before uh-huh. he, he got into his pose. He brings brief posing life to toys or statues. And not a bit objects of people. Are you on painkillers right now? Uh, maybe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I just, I'm just saying that your ideas this week have come from a place of imagination that I don't know that I've previously experienced with you. It was a long week. That's, I understand. I understand. Is extreme hunger a – it can make you sort of high. Sure. Lightheaded. Sure. Just gives me a headache, but whatever. <laughs> it certainly does not make me creative. It, may, it makes me creative in thinking, what do I have here to eat? Tim Ostrander. Mm. Tim Ostrander. Son of, son of Tom Ostrander? John, John Ostrander? Ostrander? John Ostrander. John Ostrander. He's not. Was, that, was he an artist or a Writer. Writer. And we don't know what Tim's familial relationship to John Ostrander is. So I mean, it, it's safe to assume there's probably none. But either well, way, maybe it's a good it's name Tim's lineage. Twin brother. Could be. John Ostrander was a writer. You were yeah. correct in remember that he wrote very famously Suicide Squad. Okay. And Star Wars Legacy. Yeah, he was like a uh, you know like a yeoman kind of writer. Like, oh, that's he's a good guy. He's going to get the he's job a done. Solid, very solid so, writer, and he is currently from an earlier era, sixty-nine years old. Yeah. Anyway, Tim. Ostrander can make anything hairless. Like a so seal? Can, like a baby? Yeah, just you know how people are into hairless cats and hairless dogs? He can do that. So he could just he run just... a successful waxing business, but he can make anything hairless with a touch. So is he just. Oh, here's a fun fact about John Ostrander. Sorry. He's the one that made Batgirl into Oracle huh. in the Suicide Squad book. So there you go, all you Oracle fans out there. You can thank John Ostrander next time you see him at a convention. That's a good, that's, yeah. That's if good. he touched you, would all the hair fall out of your head? It's not involuntary, so he would have to, you would have to choose to do it. Mm. You know, it's not like, he's not like, like King Midas of bald right. things. There's, not, there's no, it's, uh, it's not that. But it is an on or off proposition. I see. Like, it, you, it's not giving you a trim. It's all out. All hair. Body hair, eyebrows. Yeah, maybe he can concentrate on an area. Hmm. You know, like there's a, you know, he waves his hand over an area. Well, as he gets more training in. Yeah, yeah, he gets better. Yeah. Um, but you could also just work with a large area, like poop, and it just goes. It's gone. And there's no, so there's no razor burn. There's no. He doesn't need a nose hair trimmer. No. Although, like, you know, they, they serve a purpose too. 
Yeah, that's true. So you don't want you don't want all of the you know you don't want all the hair like so like the the little hairs in your ear that call, you know make, let you be able to hear and have balance those can remain. He's not he's not he's not doing that. <laughs> he's not really fucking you up. No, yeah, I mean, if you start taking all this stuff to its logical conclusion, you have you have to stop. You have to have a line because then a lot of the superhero stuff doesn't make sense. That's true. Yeah. So there you go. Thank you to Tim, Brian, Brian, and Philip. They're the patrons we thank this week. If you go to patreoncom family and give the five dollar eye level, you can also get your dumb superpower on the show. We thank everyone who does it. This is one of our favorite things to do on the show. Let's do a quick email from Pete S from Washington Heights, New York. Oh, wow. He says, for Christmas this year, I brought myself, I've been good, a couple of trades, compiling early work from a now-famous writer whose work I tend to like very much. Both are books that you cite constantly on iFanboy's classics from their time period. I literally can't get through either book because of the art. The first book was penciled by a second-generation, second-rate 90s artist working in the style characterized by shiny boobs and shoddy storytelling. The art in the second book is just painfully unprofessional by today's standards. I've seen this before. Lesser-known writer understandably gets paired to lesser-known artists at the beginning of his career. Writer submits a work of genius. Artist submits subpar journeyman visuals. Which brings me to my question. Can you think of any examples where a great comic story gets redrawn and reinterpreted by a great comics artist? It happens all the time in movies. Why not in comics? Can we suggest this to someone? No, no, and no. I can't think of one, no. Mm-mm. No. But I don't It would never happen. It sh- and it should never happen. Well... The closest that that would come is that there have been some classics like Kirby Lee stuff that was sort of recolored. Right. Uh, with that sort so of more recoloring style. Re- recoloring does happen a lot. Recoloring does happen. In collections, the re- famously recolored. The Killing Joke Yeah, made it worse. There was that recently, there was a, oh, what was it? It was a Superman story. It was like a, a not Ordway. Maybe it was. There was like a classic story in one of the I think it was probably in, it was Action Comics 1000 mm-hmm. I think they'd found like a, a story in the in the bin somewhere and sort of finished it Mark Wade did the dialogue no that was a that was a Captain America story a Kirby script that Mark Wade put new dialogue to I think there was a Superman one it might too. have happened also so comics aren't movies when you redo a movie you're not just taking the old script except for Gus Van Sant's Psycho well I was gonna say the other the only the only the one I can think of is Gus Van Sant's doing the, the Shot by Shot remake of Psycho, which, which is more of like a weird experiment than anything else. Like if they redo a film, they're yeah. not just, here's the old script, let's shoot it. It's Everything is redone. It's just taking the concept. Re- and comics have redone concepts over and over and over again. So yes. in, in that sense, they have done exactly what redone movies are doing. And you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't just take an old script and reshoot it. It just that because that's not a new piece of work. So in the same way, they're never, they're not going to do that in comics. Plus, comics are really small, and that would be insulting. Well, to yes, I do think just as an exercise, and there's a professional problem with this right away. It would be interesting oh, to see sure. scripts sort of get interpreted by different artists because I think that it would give you a really strong idea of how much storytelling the artist actually does. Absolutely. And I think that's really, you know, I'm sure there have been projects, experimental or otherwise, where maybe it's even been done professionally, but you just never saw one of them, mm-hmm. you know, where like a, an artist did something and they went, this is not working. They had another artist do it. They probably wouldn't because it would cost a lot. But I think that would be really interesting. I've never seen it. It's just not that simple. And they would, the industry is really small. The artists would take great offense, rightfully so. Also, comics are artifacts of a time. And so... The art you may not like then might have been very popular back then. And, and the art we like now, or you like now, is, it may not be very well received 20 years from now. Who do you think he's talking about, by the way? I don't know. I kind of, <laughs> kind of wish he, he told us. But 
I don't think there's any reason that you couldn't have told us this because now I'm like, but you know, if it's somebody who's really good now, if they came out in the mid late nineties, they would have had some shit artists. Right. And there are artists now who like, I didn't like Steve Epting in the nineties. I, I didn't like his, his, sure. his style That's changed cool. over the years. And I like what he does now. Early digital coloring is terrible. Yeah. And the coloring also really affects, but it's just not going to happen for, for a variety of reasons. Wade? Wade or Busick maybe? What do you mean? The writer he's talking about. Oh, I don't know. It could be anybody. Yeah. It could literally be anybody. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they're they're artifacts of a time. That's what makes them fun. And people who don't there people who don't like their writing in the Silver Age, but it's like they're not going to redo those stories. They have redone them. The point is they have redone the stories, but they do them in a new way. They're not going to redo old <laughs> comics. All right, wrap it up. All right. So if you want to send us an email, contact.fanboy.com. That's how you can get on the show. Thanks to everyone who does that. Also, we have some shows coming up. So we have, as we've mentioned a couple times in the show. Our next Booksplode is Avengers West Coast Epic Collection, How the West Was Won, which is the stories that introduced the West Coast Avengers. That comes out, considering the size of the book, that show will probably come out at the end of the month. It's a very big book. I'm about 10% through it. <laughs> I am less than that, but I, I, I have started it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, there's a Talksplode. There's a Talksplode about. I know that last week what I said was it'll be out after this show. There's a very slim possibility that will have happened, but I don't think so. I got delayed, and so I had to push the recording a couple of days. It is absolutely scheduled as far as I know, and uh, it will be in your hands as soon as I can get it there. Also possible that Josh will be interviewing me this month. Uh, you know what? I could do that. <laughs> so, I don't think it would be very productive. I think it would go off the rails incredibly quickly. But <laughs> Josh owes you a talk split. He's staying on it. And yep. as we mentioned earlier, if you're a patron or if you want to become a patron in the next couple of days, our next hangout is Sunday, January 20th at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. That is when, for one hour, me and Josh and often Ron get together and talk nonsense live with the patrons and take your questions and do garbage garbage talk, I was going to say. I don't even know what that means. But we just goof around for an hour. <laughs> Whew. And it's fun. And this week, this week, not this week, this month on this show, we're going to be opening up the books again and debating the nomination of some new GDATs. So if you're that's a, patron, a goddamned American treasure. If you're a patron, you've been there before. We we haven't opened the books in a while, but it's, we had some discussions internally, and we feel like it's time to open the books. So you can look forward to that Sunday, January twentieth. If you're not, if you're not a patron, you've got nine days to become one, and you'll get the link. It's fun, fun for everybody. Get over to ifanboy.com. You'll find the link there to be a patron. We talked to you about that earlier, and uh, you can find all of our podcasts and what video shows are up on there, and and, and a lot of old content that I'm particularly proud of. Some of and eh, not others. <laughs> find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking Facebook.com/ifanboy or following at ifanboy on Twitter. You can follow us individually at Jay Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram, and at CS Kilpatrick on Instagram. And no, I'm not taking Facebook friends who I don't know anymore. I'm sorry. If you like the show, write us a review, leave a star rating on iTunes. We do appreciate that. It's for any podcast you listen to. Anyone anyone can will benefit from that if you just take a second to even just click a star rating. It was very helpful. And even better than that is to tell your friends. Word of mouth is a great way to help support your favorite podcast. We do appreciate everyone who does mention the show whenever the subject does come up. And I'm Connor. I'm just going to get to it. <laughs> and I'm Josh. It's been a long week, guys. So we'll see you next week. <laughs> oh, God. Next week. <laughs> Got sad. Cause you got sad.